Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 57, and the topic for today is vegetarianism. And this is a topic that was suggested, as many are, by one of the listeners of this series who asked for a dedicated session to learn about becoming vegetarian. And I'm delighted to have with me somebody that is very expert on this uh, topic. His name is Dilip Barman. Welcome, Dilip. Thanks so much, Carl. Welcome to the session. And I want to just tell people a little bit about you, the kinds of roles that you play and the kind of credentials that you have. Dilip is the North American Regional Coordinator for the International Vegetarian Union. He's also the president of the Triangle Vegetarian Society. He's also a faculty member of the Art Institute of Raleigh-Durham, an adjunct faculty member at DeVry Institute, and also an instructor at UNC Hospital. So Dilip definitely keeps busy and has a varied areas of interest and is also very knowledgeable in this overall area of vegetarianism. And to get started, as we often do, we like to talk about some insightful quotes and get the thinking going. And, you know, we have a number of reasons for being vegetarian or there's a desire to become uh, more vegetarian. That includes, you know, health, environment, as well as uh, love of animals. And let me just ask Dilip to get us started and talking about some of the quotes that he's brought with us. And I really appreciate that you've brought uh, insightful quotes to get us started on this, Dilip. So maybe we can get started on those. I'd be delighted to. And I, and I wanted to thank you, Carl, for, for hosting this discussion. I hope in some small way I might be able to contribute to people's understanding of vegetarianism. Uh, I think at the end you probably will include some references and uh, by all means I, I always welcome uh, uh, email for clarification or, or uh, if anybody has specific questions. So, uh, so I'm honored that you've, uh, you've chosen to spend not just your time with me but more importantly to uh, expose this to, to your audience. So welcome to everybody out there on, in, in the internet for, uh, for spending the time with us. I think, Carl, that was a very good idea that you had asked me to pull out a, a couple of germane quotes that might be points of uh, uh, departure for our discussion. And the first quote is an environmental quote, and uh, it's from the UN. The United Nations, by way of prefatory comments, is a very conservative body, and they don't generally make statements about things like vegetarianism lightly. There's mm -hmm. a lot of interests which would argue against saying something about about something like vegetarianism. So, so the quote I have here is, it's actually four or five years old, was uh, made in 2006. And the quote is that meat and milk production generates more greenhouse gas emissions than transportation and is one of the top two or three most significant contributors to the most serious environmental problems at every scale from local to global it's also a major source of land and water degradation. So this quote from the UN is very clear, and it's, it's based on, on a lot of science. And I invite people, if you go to uh, FAO.org, which is Food Agriculture Organization or, or something like that by the UN, 
uh, you should easily be able to find a lot of data that supports this statement. But basically what it says is that uh, the biggest impact we make on the environment is the food we eat, and it shouldn't surprise people. Ideally, if, um, you know, where do we get our food from? It all comes from the sun. That's what energizes all of us, plants and animals alike. Ideally, we should be able to sprout leaves and photosynthesize and enjoy, you know, life and enjoy creating our own food. But of course, we can't. We're not green. <laughs> I don't think anybody who's going to be listening today is, is green or is, has chlorophyll. So we must eat. And, and uh, I remember back to high school when I took physics that I learned that every time we convert energy from one form to another, we lose something. Some efficiencies are lost. And so we must eat plants. Plants themselves have converted the energy from the sun. Uh, and so there's a little bit of inefficiency. When we choose to eat animals, then we are converting that energy of the sun to places, from the sun to the plant, the plant to the animal, sorry, three places, and then the animal to, to us. So it's no surprise that environmentally it takes a lot more to generate food if we eat the food through an animal as opposed to through a plant. And now the, the science is just pretty incredible in terms of the amount of resources it takes to, uh, to generate food that's not plant-based. But this is not very well known, and it always surprises me, Carl, when I have conversations with environmentalists. I'm also a film reviewer for a magazine, and I see a lot of, a lot of film, especially documentary film. And I can remember several instances where I met filmmakers who were showing their, their brand new film about, uh, about the environment. And often they would end the film with a statement that, okay, this must have impacted you, and here are 10 things you can do to um, tread lighter on the earth. And they would talk about things like, you know, use less lights, use different kinds of light bulbs, carpool, drive smaller cars, drive a hybrid car, go, you know, ride a bicycle, a number of things like that. But not one of the things that they ever mention is to eat a plant-based diet or move towards a plant-based diet. And I always raise my hand humbly, <laughs> and I thank them for their great work. Say, this is great stuff. But what about the elephant in the room? By far the biggest impact we make on the environment is the food we eat. And uh, for whatever reason, it causes some discomfort, I think, with the people who are promoting their environmental message. And and they say, well, we just can't list everything next because <laughs> the next question. But this is the biggest impact. And uh, I don't want to dwell on this, but if you, if you prompt me a little bit later, I, I can tell a few more stories, kind of funny stories, that kind of drill home the importance of uh, plant-based diet from an environmental perspective. So much so that many people feel you really cannot call yourself an environmentalist if you're not also promoting a, a plant-based diet. I think this is so incredibly insightful, Dilip. I think the... Uh Many of the things that I'm sure have come to our listeners' minds when we mention the topic of vegetarianism can be pretty certain that environmental issues weren't on the top of that list or were on that <laughs> list at all. And so I think it's a great quote to start with. And I just wanted to mention, too, that we will be including the, the links that you talk about here in the show notes for the podcast as well. So maybe we can go on to the next quote. Well, the next quote is a very related quote, and uh, it's a quote from, and I apologize, I, I don't think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Rajendra, I think is correct, but his last name is Pachuria, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. It's P-A-C-H-A-U-R-I, 
he's the chair, or he was the chair, I think he probably still is, of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And so what uh, Dr. Pacharya has said is that in terms of immediacy of action and the feasibility about bringing about reductions in a short period of time, it, and he means reducing meat and dairy consumption, clearly is the most attractive opportunity. So if you want to improve the environment, the best thing you can do is to reduce the amount of meat and dairy you eat. Let me just kind of illustrate that with a, with a couple stories. In this country, in the United States, and, and what we're talking about is, is really a global issue. It's not a, an American or Canadian or, or European issue. It's, uh, it's a global issue. But um, in the United States, the water quality is, has been noted as having been severely degraded. And uh, the U.S. government has identified that the largest, imp- the largest polluter of, of water really comes from agriculture, from all this chemical-based agriculture, fertilizing plants, not growing organic, uh, and through, of course, the, the tremendous, uh, they're called CAFOs, concentrated animal feeding operations. And some people may have heard this term if they had watched a film called Food Incorporated, which, which dwells on this. Uh, so you bring a lot of animals, a lot of animals in one place and confine them. Uh, chickens are a good example. Chickens are kept uh, in the dark. They're kept in um, a tremendous amount of dark. They have unusual light and day cycles they're kept, the chickens are kept in. And um, because chickens are, um, are social animals, any animal that's too close to another animal eventually will have some degree of aggression. So, Carl, you're a you're a wonderful person, and if I were if I were spending some time with you, we'd have a, we'd have a great time, I'm sure. But I can guarantee, as as nice as I as I'm sure you are, as I know you are, and and I think I'm a nice person too. If we were literally pressed up against each other fairly strongly uh, for our whole lives, I can guarantee somebody as nice as you and as perhaps as nice as I am would push back a bit and say, I need some space. And that's how chickens are raised. They're raised with almost no space. And so when chickens give birth, they're quickly sexed. The, the baby chickens are examined. And if it's a boy chicken who doesn't lay eggs, they're often not needed. They're thrown typically into a, into a bag. And they often suffocate to death. Sometimes they're thrown into the garbage. Sometimes they're ground up live. The girl chickens actually have it even worse because their be- beaks are removed so that they don't hurt each other. And their beaks are removed um, very cruelly. It's the, their most sensitive organ. There's no anesthesia given. It's just very quickly removed. Uh, and then they're put in this, in this confined operation. And so never mind the animal ethics, which, of course, is a big issue, but we're not talking about that at the moment. But in terms of the environment, we have this amazing, this tremendous concentration of animal feces that has to go someplace, all this ammonia. And so, of course, it contaminates groundwater. And, of course, it just it just too concentrated to, you know, in the old days when people had a few chickens, the chicken waste could perhaps be used for fertilizer, but not the way it's, uh, you know, in the, in the capital operations. So I think this quote really talks about that the best thing we can do is to, to reduce how much animal foods we eat, and it's clearly the most attractive opportunity for moving ahead for a, for a cleaner, more green world. 
You're definitely making the case, Dilip, for vegetarianism in ways that I'm <laughs> sure people weren't that aware of in, before you mentioned these. I think everybody's always aware of the, the issues of, of health and that there's benefits, obviously, to human health. There's obviously what you're uh, describing now as the benefit to the environment and also uh, thinking of this from that point of view that I think lots of people aren't aware of. Here, what's your last quote and what's that perspective? My last quote is by Da Vinci, Leonardo Da Vinci. And uh, he has a short but, but interesting quote, which is that uh, I have from an early age abjured or avoided the use of meat, and the time will come when men will look upon the murder of animals as they now look upon the murder of men. So that's a very telling quote. And here we start talking about animal ethics, animal welfare and animal ethics. So it, it always surprises me, Carl, how... Some people, of course, you're in Canada, I'm in the United States, and people in the audience could be anywhere. But in the West, some of my friends sometimes cast aspersions on our friends in Korea, for example, or China, when they hear stories of people eating dogs, say. And of course, I'm not in favor of eating of dogs. <laughs> but on the other hand, these people who are so critical they themselves are often eating pigs and cows and chickens. And, uh, you know, I just gave an example of how cruelly chickens are treated. Um, I'm not sure where people draw the line. If it's, a, if it's a question of intelligence, you know, pigs are a lot more intelligent than dogs. And pigs can be uh, very loyal companions. If you, you know, if you have a a companion animal is a pig. I'm not advocating you do that, but they certainly can be, and, uh, and they're extremely intelligent. So to me, I am not shocked or upset by some people in some countries eating dogs, any more so than of people in our country eating <laughs> pigs and cows and chickens and, and many other animals. I do think that from an animal point of view, there perhaps are circumstances less and less nowadays, maybe in the Arctic, where there simply isn't enough plant food. Uh, and let me be clear, mor morality and ethics comes after survival. And so if your survival, if you live in the northern Arctic, there are probably places where you must fish. And from what I know, those populations do so reasonably sustainably. But the majority of us, I would dare say, perhaps everybody, almost everybody listening to this podcast has choices. Now, given that you can grow food in a more environmentally sustainable fashion, and perhaps we'll have an opportunity on this uh, podcast, Carl, to talk a little bit about health. So arguably, you could be healthier for that. Why kill animals? Why do that? Animals do not like to be killed to serve our purposes. And so I, I, I like to think the vast majority of people are compassionate, good, well-meaning people. But I'm not sure why they don't always consider the food that they're eating, and perhaps eating lower on the food chain may occur to some people would actually be a much kinder, gentler way of, of going about life. Um, we don't have to kill animals. We don't have to kill chickens or fish. We don't have to drink milk, and, and if there's an opportunity, I actually want to spend some time talking about, about dairy, because dairy in many ways is a much bigger issue than, than meat. But I'll, I'll defer to you to, if you'd like me to, to discuss that. I, I'd like to discuss that. We don't have to drink milk. We don't have to eat eggs. We don't have to eat fish. And in fact, perhaps a little bit later, we'll talk about health. There's more and more evidence that by doing those things, we are compromising our own health. So I think this quote is good because it reminds us that we should, as much as 
grateful, be compassionate, live as gently as we can, and uh, and uh, I think the word murder is an appropriate one. Take uh, life from an animal. It's it's not. Uh, we're omnivores. We don't have to do that. We're not a lion who has no choice. A lion must kill, and so the lion must kill to to survive. But we're not we're not um, we're not car- carnivores. We're om- omnivores. So you clearly are passionate and have depth of knowledge on this stuff, Dilip, that is quite impressive. And so you've made the case, I think, for arguing for the benefits of a vegetarian diet with regard to fundamental environmental issues, also made the point with regard to sort of animal rights issues, and uh, you'd also mentioned the one that I think people are most often aware of, of the huge health benefits to you yourself as well. And I I was actually interested and found it uh, rather uh, insightful that a former president of the United States, Bill Clinton, has adopted a, a vegan diet some while ago for health reasons and has, you know, lost weight, has been more, uh, more healthy as a result. And so I think the point maybe to take from all of this discussion is a realization that there are a variety of reasons that there, a vegetarian diet is a good idea, whether for health, whether for environment, whether for animals. I think anybody can take their choice of which of any of those reasons they may want to have as reasons to become vegetarian or become partly vegetarian. I liked your suggestion as you put together the top 10 list that you sent along to me as well, Dilip, to start slow and to actually progressively consider what you might be able to do, you know, what what rate to really start doing this and then get it to the level that you are comfortable doing. Not everybody has to be fully, you know, vegan and for, you know, any of the reasons that we've listed thus far. You can use whatever reason you want to explore this this direction and this approach to uh, to your diet. But I love the top 10 list that you sent along that we could get started on now. So maybe we could just start down that list, Dylan. Well, I'd be glad to, but I, I wanted to quickly throw in one more thought. I think there's a there's another reason we didn't we didn't talk about, and that is taste. <laughs> I think a lot of people who move from a standard diet with, um, with meat and uh, dairy, and they start moving towards a plant-based diet, they find that a lot of ethnicities are, have a, a lot of fabulous plant-based foods, and a lot of people find that their food choices expand tremendously. So I wanted to throw that in as well. <laughs> well I'm, glad, I'm glad you did, yeah. because I think a lot of people think that, oh, okay, now we're going to be talking about vegetarian diets, and man, is this going to be you know boring, or is this going to be tasteless? And uh, anybody that's tried really good vegetarian cooking, like you do, and the kinds of uh, dishes that you make, you know, we'll realize that there's, you know, significant taste benefits as well from it. So I'm glad you you raised that. Okay, why don't we go down the top 10 list? What's the number one? Sure, I'd be glad to. I think the first thing one should do if one's interested, and, and you know, there's lots of reasons to, to be interested, as you mentioned, and some people may have as a takeaway that, well, gee whiz, maybe I should, you know, cut back meat once a week, and, and that's great. I mean, wherever you want to start, and so the first thing I recommend is to do your own research. I'd like to think that I know a little bit about this topic, but, you know, I think it's important to um, do a little bit of research, read a couple books, uh, do some searching on the internet. I mean, Nutrition is a very young science. 
And uh, you you certainly can go out there on the internet and on any number of sources, and you can find people who have uh, a number of different views. You certainly can find people who say that uh, you know for human health you need to have some animal products, and you can find other people who say for human health, for ideal human health, you should have no animal products. So, um, so. I think that there's a lot of information out there and, and you need to do your own research. Now, in terms of the environment, I don't think you're going to find any information out there that counters uh, the fact that you really need to move towards a plant-based diet to, uh, you know, to tread lightly on the, on the earth. So, um, so anyhow, the, the first point I would recommend is to um, do your own research through the library or, or the internet or through local organizations, which which will lead me to the second point. Just before we get to the second one, Dill, just on the on the first point of really starting to investigate and learn about a vegetarian diet, you had mentioned, you know, that uh, the varying opinions on, you know, whether you really need meat or whether you can actually re- replace a meat in your diet effectively and still be healthy. I wonder if you could just address that topic of what do you need to make sure that you are getting if you are going to go down the path of being vegetarian. A lot of people will sort of immediately, I would imagine, think, oh, yeah, no, but I have to have meat. Don't I absolutely need that for protein. Where would I get you know, protein from, very basically. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what kinds of things you need to do to make sure that you are actually getting the, the required nutrients. That's a good question, Carl. Now, I think that it's important. First of all, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian. And so uh, before I advise people, before they make significant changes to their, their diets, I should certainly check with a nutritionist, not necessarily a doctor. I don't know what it's like in Canada and some other countries, but in the United States, most doctors spend very little time in medical school learning about nutrition. I've seen some statistics that the average doctor uh, in their six to ten years of, of study spends maybe four hours studying nutrition. So doctors don't tend to know uh, as much about nutrition as nutritionists, obviously. So that would be one thing I would recommend. In terms of nutrition, everything we need comes from the plant kingdom with one small exception I will get to in a moment. But everything that you need, fiber, you know, there's no fiber whatsoever in animal-based foods. So we've all heard how important fiber is. Uh, Fiber is available in plenty in in plant-based foods. Calcium, sometimes people say, well, if I don't drink milk, um, uh, where do I get my calcium from? Well, we get calcium the same place that the largest land animals get their calcium from. If you look at elephants or orangutans, they don't drink milk once they come out of their infancy. Uh, they don't eat meat. They're vegetarians. They're vegans. So they get it from leafy greens. There's plenty of calcium in greens, plenty of carbohydrates. Now, protein is an issue some people raise. There's plenty of protein in plant-based foods as well. Um, in fact, there's been some effort to identify the problems with, with consuming too much protein. Uh, too much protein can cause problems with the kidneys, for example. And, and there's been an effort in the United States to reduce the recommended daily allowance of protein. So if you're a vegan, vegetarian, we haven't defined terms, by the way, but a vegan is somebody who doesn't eat any, uh, who doesn't use any uh, animal products, uh, not just in terms of eating, but in terms of, uh, in terms of wearing. Uh, a vegan doesn't wear leather, uh, doesn't wear wool, uh, doesn't drink milk, doesn't use silk, doesn't consume honey, fish, meat, chicken, so forth. So in terms of um, protein, if you were a vegan and you didn't eat um, 
you ate nothing but potato chips and beer, for example, mm-hmm. you are going to have a protein problem. <laughs> right. But if you're eating a reasonably varied diet, and again, don't take my word for it, but check with nutritionists to review what you are eating, um, protein is, is very unlikely to be an issue. The only thing, Carl, that's likely to potentially be an issue is vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 comes essentially from an animal's gut. So some people listening to the podcast might say, aha, so this Dilla Barman is suggesting that you really can't be a vegetarian. Your, our natural state is to, to eat animals. That's not the case. Uh, it's, it's an issue of purity. Until recently, you know, until relatively recently, we would get our water from streams. And just upstream a little bit, uh, a fish might have uh, urinated, to be frank. And of course, you have a very dilute quantity that you're, you're consuming when you drink the water. Or when you ate that apple, maybe there was a bird dropping that wasn't totally scrubbed. We have a very small requirement for B12, 12 micrograms per day. And, uh, and that can be stored inside our bodies for some months. So, but if you are a vegan who's not eating any processed foods that have some added B12, then you might want to be aware of B12. And it doesn't hurt to take a B12 supplement uh, because if you don't have enough B12, there's a number of issues that can come up in terms of neurological issues. Um, so that, that's the only thing, Carl, I would ask people to consider if you're a vegan is uh, make sure you're eating you know, a variety of food, organic as much as possible because you don't want uh, chemicals to ingest chemicals and, uh, and be aware of B12 and consider taking a B12 supplement. So we've now investigated... You know, a plant-based lifestyle more, doing their own research, uh, gotten some understanding of what the basics are that we need to cover and that you can, in fact, have a plant-based diet and get all the nutrients that you need in order to be healthy, just like lots of animals do, as you pointed out, Dilip. What's number two? Take a look and see if there's a local vegetarian society. There are more and more vegetarian societies sprouting up all over. As you mentioned in the introduction, I am on the, I'm part of International Vegetarian Union, and uh, we work with people all over the world. There are vegetarian societies in Kenya, uh, in, uh, in Indonesia. In fact, we had a World Vegetarian Congress in Indonesia last year. In Canada, and plenty in the United States, in Japan, in China, in Pakistan, in uh, Israel. We've been working with somebody uh, from, uh, is it Yemen perhaps? Someplace in the Middle East who started a vegetarian society. So there are a lot of vegetarian societies. So take a look. Uh, Google, do a, a search on the internet for vegetarian society in your locality and see if such a group exists. And, uh, and if it exists, take advantage of them. They often have informal get-togethers. You don't usually have to be a vegetarian to attend. And uh, often there are potluck dinners where people bring food. And if they're hesitant about bringing food, they pick up some apple cider or maybe buy some... Um, buy some bread and, and bring that or, or something of that nature. And, and usually there's, there's polite and fun conversation. And all the vegetarian societies I know of are, are non-judgmental. And in our own group, Triangle Vegetarian Society, when we have people who, who aren't vegetarian, we uh, certainly make them feel welcome and, and uh, try not to judge at all about who they are, where they are in their, in their uh, dietary choices. But it's a great way of learning. You find other people, you discover all this great food, perhaps exchange recipes. Vegetarian societies also often have events. They'll bring speakers to the group on uh, topics ranging from health to environment to uh, ethics to water quality and, and many other many other topics. 
Um, but if for some reason there is no local vegetarian society, then look for national organizations. Here in the United States, for example, we have the Vegetarian Resource Group uh, and the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Those are two excellent groups. And there are a number of other groups too, North American Vegetarian Society. There are um, groups in, uh, I think, almost all of the continents, except Antarctica. <laughs> so look for these local or regional organizations. And, and you can always look at the International Vegetarian Union, IVU.org. We have a lot of, um, we have, I believe, over a thousand recipes. We have lots of history about vegetarianism, uh, lots of fact sheets. If you don't have a local group, try to get people together. Maybe put a little poster up, put a flyer up. If you have a cooperative grocery store or a store that's trying to sell more organic, you'd be surprised if you put a, a little flyer up and say, um, we'd like to get together with other people interested in, um, in, in vegetarian food and plant-based foods, and maybe, uh, maybe the store would, would allow the meeting to happen there, perhaps if they have a deli or some, some place where they serve prepared foods, or a public library or a college campus. You might be surprised to attract uh, a number of people, and, and you could form a core group and, uh, and start planning some events. So I think the second part of the approach might be to, to look for an organization and uh, gain some information from that organization or start your own. For many things that we want to get into that we don't know a lot about, it's often a good idea to seek out an organization like you're describing, Dillip. And I think vegetarianism sounds like it is uh, no different, and it's probably the really good idea to try out some of the food. Find out what uh, some vegetarian meals may taste like that you may, if you've only got the concept in your head that uh, vegetarian equals salads, maybe the it's, it's really instructive, I think, to go to one of these organizations as well. So now we know about, we've investigated uh, more about plant-based uh, lifestyles. We've met some folks at these kinds of organizations. How do we get started actually starting to eliminate some of the meat and the like from our diet? Maybe we can go to number three. So I think the third thing you could do is simply to stop buying meat or fish or ordering meat or fish at restaurants. That's uh, hopefully pretty easy. And, you know, maybe if you need to keep eating eggs and dairy, start reducing that. And, you know, if you have a um, if you really have a desire for a hot dog or a hamburger, there are lots of meat analogs, things that aren't made with meat, which are vegan, but which kind of look like <laughs> what, uh, what you used to eat. I'm not recommending that these be eaten all the time. They you know, are, uh, don't have as much fat as the meat versions, but they, they do tend to be high in sodium. They're not necessarily the healthiest, but, um, but that can help getting off of meat and fish is to, to look for some substitutes. That might be a nice third thing to do. What's number four? We talked earlier about the issues with eggs, and you know, I could go on at length, but for now, my steps are leading us towards a vegan diet. So the next step is to move out of eggs. Stop buying or ordering eggs. Don't have that omelet or scrambled eggs. Um, if you like baking, there's lots of egg substitutes. Almost any store has this product called Egg Replacer here in the United States, and it's a combination of various, it has flax powder and a few other powders. And, and I use that when I make waffles or cakes, and, and it just comes out fabulous. So uh, look for egg substitutes. Uh, if you like scrambled eggs, maybe try scrambled tofu. So step four, stop buying or ordering eggs. Very good. And I think the point that you were making earlier as well is that we're going through this in a progressive fashion and that if somebody really wanted to, you know, leave this at, okay, leaving out, you know, meat and fish, let's say, and like you say, maybe reducing somewhat the eggs and, and dairy, that 
would be sort of vegetarian, wouldn't be vegan, but that would be, you know, a, a reasonable lifestyle to adopt. But um, we can also go through the rest of the list as the number four that you mentioned in terms of also eliminating eggs this time and that there are alternatives to eggs as well that are really quite palatable and in fact enjoyable. So if you wanted to be even more enthusiastic and more comprehensive than uh, the number four, uh, eliminating eggs. Uh, what about number five? Um, before I get to number five, I also wanted to mention that I think it's important to understand why one might be interested in a plant-based diet. So if one's interest is environment uh, or even human health, then um, you know those are some mitigating circumstances. So when I say you know not to eat meat or fish, what kind of environmental impact are you making if you're eating turkey at Thanksgiving, for example, if you're in Canada or the United States, and that's the only time you eat meat? Maybe you're not making a huge impact. And so, you know, you have to take all these things and internalize them with, with uh, what makes sense for you. If you're an ethical vegan like I am, then of course you can't justify, nor would you want, I think, to eat to eat something like turkey. So. So all these things, you know, you, you obviously have to filter through your own, your own uh, desires and background. That said, number five is to stop using dairy milk. I would say stop using dairy milk would be a good thing to do next. And instead, there's all sorts of wonderful nut milks. And I put, in this case, milk in quotes. Uh, some milks are made from hemp. Uh, in my own household, we make our own fresh almond milk. Uh, it's so easy. You, you simply take some almonds and some water. You blend it. We put some some flavorings in and, uh, and there you have it. It's tasty, it's good for you and you know, no cholesterol. So um, stop using dairy milks. Look for any number of nut milks, almond milk, uh, oat milk, hemp milk, rice milk, soy milk, uh, all sorts of milks. Uh, they go great with cereals. They're, they're good as creamers for hot drinks. Um, they're good just as a drink in and of themselves. There's chocolate versions. <laughs> um, so that might be the fifth thing to do. And they're also pretty readily available is the other point maybe to, to make if you look for it in many sort of regular stores. There may also be some specialist stores you may do go, need to go for some of this. And I obviously think that this is probably different you know, depending on where you are in the world. And this podcast does go to and has listeners in virtually every corner of the world. So we can't be too presumptuous in terms of what uh, kinds of stores anybody might have. But do you, do you have any advice, Dilip, on, you know, the the places to look if you, you know, don't find these things you're describing in your neighborhood uh, sort of grocery store? Well, ask your grocer to stock it. I mean, there is there is a demand. A lot of people are lactose intolerant and want something that's, that's you know, kind of a milk beverage. So so ask. You know, I've done some travel in, in Asia and in Europe, Eastern and Western Europe, uh, the States, Canada, and, uh, and every place I've gone, I've found uh, at least soy milk. My um, father-in-law wants to move towards a vegan diet, and so... He actually found, he had to look a little bit, wasn't in his, uh, the store, the place that he typically got food from in the small town in India, but he found at a neighboring mid-sized town, uh, a company that produces, I believe it's soy milk. And so, so he, you know, he gets it from that, that town. You know, the other thing you can do is you can kind of make your own, like I mentioned with, with the nut milk. Um, so you could, you could do that, but, um, 
I think it's becoming more and more available. Now, now I wanted to say one thing about the milk, and that is that um, there are a few places in the world, sub-Saharan Africa and some of village India, where they actually don't have really any other protein sources, any strong protein sources or calcium sources. Milk is not the best source of calcium. But if you don't have leafy greens, if you don't have legumes, there are a few places where they actually do need to sustainably take cow's milk. But those places are very few and far between. Now, we've taken out, it seems to me, all of the animal-based products out of our out of our diets in terms of where we've gone to uh, thus far, have we not? Or is there a, another <laughs> a bit of insight into uh, where we may actually be surprised that there may still be some animal products? Sure. And and before we go further, I, I, I you know, people can stop at any point on this, on the cycle, on this, uh, this, this uh, step program, so to speak. But the next thing to be aware of is that, um, well, well, first of all, it's impossible, at least in modern modern times uh, to be a pure vegan. Uh, there's animal products even in, um, in rubber. So for example, if you're using a bicycle or a, or a car, uh, in a sense, you, you know, you're exploiting an animal. So we're not looking for 100%. We're looking for as close as we can get. But it is the case that there are a lot of hidden animal products that one can avoid. So for example, a lot of processed foods and uh, you know, we probably don't have enough time today to talk about whole foods versus processed foods. But I think listeners probably are aware that the more pristine, the closer to, you know, just pick that you can get the better. But a lot of processed foods use foods like uh, glycerin, lactic acid, various items like that, which are slaughterhouse products. So um, some medications have glycerin. There's also a vegetable glycerin available. But if you're reading ingredients and it says glycerin, then you need to find out, does this come from an animal or is it plant-based? And, and lactic acid generally comes from, uh, from lactose, which comes from cow's milk typically, but not always. Uh, soup stocks. So you go off to a restaurant and say, uh, I'd like that tomato soup, please, or I'd like, uh, you know, I'd like a, a mixed vegetable noodle soup. Well, be aware to ask where is the stock coming from? Some people routinely put uh, animal stocks into their soups. And of course, as a vegetarian or vegan, you would, you would not want to eat that. Uh, in the case of the noodle soup, you'll also want to ask, uh, is it an egg noodle or is it a, not an egg noodle? So, so watch for hidden animal products. We're at number seven, I think. Stop using cheese or other dairy products. There's lots of alternatives to cheeses. And, and I tell you, Carl, this is probably the hardest thing people have in becoming vegan is giving up cheese. Cheese is, is such a concentrated source of the enzymes and various items you find in dairy milk that um, I've seen some studies where cheese actually helps trigger endorphins in the brain. You essentially get kind of addicted. Not kind of, you do get addicted to cheese. <laughs> and so... So try giving cheese up, as well as other dairy products, cottage cheese, sour cream. Uh, there are alternatives. You can find various tapioca-based cheeses, rice-based cheeses. I've had a number of nut-based cheeses. There's, of course, a wide variety of soy-based cheeses. One thing to be careful with is when you do eat such products, for example, soy cheese, you might go to a restaurant and say, I'd like pizza, but please, if you have it, I'd like to have soy cheese. If they don't have soy cheese, pizza without cheese is actually very tasty. But a lot of soy cheeses have some dairy products in them. They have casein, 
which is a, a dairy product. So um, you'll want to be careful when you buy or, or use such soy products to make sure that uh, that it is vegan. So, so step seven, stop using cheeses or other dairy products. Okay, now we've talked a lot about food. I think your number eight is going to broaden the net even further. So number eight is you have to think about if you are a vegan, if you're interested in animal ethics, should you really be wearing uh, clothing made from wool or silk? So consider no longer purchasing such items. So for example, when when I got married, we had a a big vegan wedding and um, we picked clothes and shoes based on uh, their not being uh, animal-based. In our case, we had a large Indian wedding, and in India, a lot of clothes are custom-made. <laughs> so uh, for the bridesmaids, for example, we picked out an outfit that we had made. We found it at, a, at an Indian store, and what we liked best was made of silk, I think. So we contacted the manufacturer, because this is common in India to be able to do this, and we said, we like this design, but please make it out of cotton. And they were very happy to do that. So... Um, step eight really is to consider not using wool or silk. It's an interesting question. What do you do with your existing wardrobe? You have that old pair of uh, leather boots, for example. There's no right answer here, Carl. And in fact, our whole discussion, I'm not trying to suggest there are right answers. I'm just trying to perhaps give some information to cause people to, you know, to think further and to make their own decisions. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's plausible to say, well, you know, we already have this, and if I just junk it, if I throw it or try to recycle it or something, then uh, you know the damage has been done. We've killed the animal, and uh, it's perhaps even more dishonorable to uh, to take the remnants of the animal and and just let it rot away. So I think you could make a case for continuing to use an existing product. Of course, not buying new ones, um, but you could also make a case to say that. It would be kind of hypocritical of me because when I tell people I'm a vegan, they just have to point to my boots and say, who are you to tell me that you're a vegan? You really aren't. So, you know, there's no right answer here. Since since I give a lot of talks on plant-based diets and I'm involved on the international level, I'm more sensitive to this point than perhaps others are. Uh, since I often do have the floor, I don't want somebody to dismiss my comments by pointing to, you know, a leather belt or a silk tie or something of that nature. And so I'm a little bit more careful here. So step eight, consider not wearing dead animals. And, and by the way, there's plenty of great non-leather shoes available. They're often very inexpensive. I think we're probably giving a perspective on this topic that is deeper than many people. Some people will be aware of a lot of the things that you're describing here, Dilip, but I think a lot of the, the rest of the listeners may well be getting insights into, oh my God, I had no idea that <laughs> I should actually be thinking about, you know, silk and leather belts and shoes and the like. They may also be thinking of the same with regard to honey, and I think that's your number nine. Number nine is honey. I, I don't have the... the, the um, details in front of me because I don't talk about honey that often, but it takes a bee uh, an inordinate amount of time to generate just an ounce of honey. Um, it's, it's quite a few hours to generate an ounce of honey. Now, beekeepers will say that they're very gentle, they're very good to their bees because they want the bees to keep generating honey. That, that could be the case, but what they end up doing is they, they literally steal the work product of the bees. The bees work hard because they want their honey. And what beekeepers do is they take their honey and give them sugar water. 
the bees do not want the sugar water, they want their honey, thank you. So, and there is certain cruelty involved with the, with even the most well-meaning beekeeper in terms of, you know, when you lull the, the bees through, um, through smoke, for example, some of them do lose their lives. So it doesn't seem right to steal honey from a bee. And so there's really no reason to, to use honey. There's so many other sweeteners, Carl. Maple syrup is one such sweetener. Um, many of your listeners won't be familiar with it, but there's a product called brown rice syrup. And I tell you, I, I teach vegan cooking, and I know you're going to post my, uh, my homepage, dilip.info, on the, the podcast. Um, I have a link on my homepage about baklava. Uh, some of you will be familiar with this gourmet dessert, which is famous in the Middle East in particular, uh, and it's known for using a lot of honey. I teach my students to make baklava out of brown rice syrup, and it's not been—it's been more than more than once or twice that people have told me that my baklava is the best baklava they've had in their lives. <laughs> and uh, when you make baklava, you would not know it's not honey. The brown rice syrup tastes and looks and feels just like honey. So that's another option. Blackstrap molasses is another option. Uh, sugar syrup is another option. Um, and by the way, in terms of sugar, you, you want to try that if you are eating sugar, which, which I, I really don't, or almost not at all, but if you do eat sugar, you really want to get turbinado, the unprocessed sugar. But anyhow, step nine is uh, consider not using honey. And 10 sounds like it's an extension of that same topic and uh, some additional advice there. 10 is to read ingredient labels to avoid honey. Some breads, some crusts have honey. And so, so you'll want to be aware of that and say... I'm a vegan, I would rather not consume honey. Now again, any of these steps is up to each individual person. And for some people, they may say, well, if, uh, if I can't see the honey, and uh, you know, am I doing more harm than good by not eating this? There is an organization called Vegan Outreach, and Vegan Outreach would argue the following. They would say, Dillip's list of 10, or any list of 10, you know, be aware of this. But what you do in public, you need to, you know, be a little bit circumspect about. So we don't want to go around making it look difficult because it's not to be plant-based. So the vegan outreach approach basically says if it looks, smells, feels like the real thing, let's assume it's the real thing. And any, uh, you know, downside of consuming the honey is mitigated by uh, the upside of not, you know, of not... Um, not causing a, a ruckus, basically, and, and, and working really hard to make sure something is, is edible. So, so take all these things with a grain of salt and make it your own. But yeah, uh, step 10 would be to avoid honey and, and baked goods, for example. So we've made the case, or you have, Dilip, in terms of the importance of addressing this topic and adopting more of a plant-based diet by looking at the importance to the environment, the importance to animals, and importance to human health. You've gone through a progressive list of a top 10, very much steps here, and progressively getting you know more, more purist, if you will, with regard to a plant-based um, uh, approach. I think this is a great uh, summary, and I'm sure our listeners will, uh, will appreciate the list. I wanted to, just before we finished up, and I know we're going a little long, just wanted to ask you for, uh, and we've talked about it a little bit uh, in the session here, where people can get in touch with you, learn more about you, read more with regard to the topics that you've talked 
talked about here, and I'm sure that you've probably got several places that you want to direct people. I wonder if you could just uh, provide those, and I will include those in the show notes for this episode as well. So in cases where somebody misses it as it's flying by listening to the podcast, there is a place to get it, and you can find that on lifehabits.net. So maybe you could just uh, describe those locations now, Dylan. I'd be glad to. I just wanted to make one, one final thought as well, Carl, if I may. We, we really didn't touch on human health very much, and, and uh, we could spend a whole hour just talking about that or, or longer, but I did want uh, to alert people that uh, there's mounting evidence that, uh, that an ideal diet is a plant-based diet. There's, there's been studies of uh, Seventh-day Adventists large large group of people that show that uh, that vegetarians live seven years longer than non-vegetarians and, and vegans live eight years longer. Uh, there have been some fabulous studies uh, at Harvard. Uh, the only way ever proven repeatedly to reverse heart disease involves a, a vegan diet as well, the, the Ornish diet. Um, so um, we really didn't touch very much on human health, but be assured that there's a lot of excellent evidence. There's a new film coming out in the coming weeks about, uh, and I'm forgetting the name of it, about uh, which which goes into this in great detail. So, in terms of reaching me, Carl, the best way is email. My email address is my last name, which is Barman B for Boy A R M A N Barman at J H U Johns Hopkins University, of which I'm an alum. I don't speak for Johns Hopkins, but <laughs> but that's my email address, Barman at J H U dot edu for educational institution. Um, and then my webpage, my homepage is www.dilip, D for David, I L for Larry, I P for Peter, dilip.info. So dilip.info or barman at jhu.edu. Very good. Thanks for that. And you've got some additional locations as well. I know you're also a photographer. You also have the uh, vegetarian associations that you're part of. And I'll include those links as part of the show notes site as well on this. But I wanted to thank you, Dilip, for your passionate arguments and portrayals and summaries and advice that you've given here on this episode, all about sort of why we should be considering becoming vegetarian or vegan and very practical, progressive steps for achieving it as well. So I wanted to thank you very much for this. Thank you very much, Carl. And we will talk to everyone here again uh, next time. And that's it for today. And bye for now.